Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I'm honored to welcome to Beeson and to this podcast a new friend, a new friend to me and a new friend to Beeson Divinity School. He is the Reverend Mark Jeske. He's from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where he serves as the pastor of a Lutheran church, uh, a church that is called St. Marcus Lutheran Church. Welcome, Mark, to Beeson and to this podcast. Thank you, Dr. George. Great to be here. Now, you're here to present our William E. Conger Jr. Lectures on Biblical Preaching. It's one of our annual lectureships. We're in the midst of it right now, and I want to ask you maybe a question or two about that as we go along. But would you begin just by telling us a little bit about yourself, your own background, how you grew up? You're the pastor of the church into which you were born and baptized as an infant, I think. Yeah, although I didn't spend most of my youth there, but um, through... The sense of humor of God, it sort of has turned into the family church, not by design. It just, we keep coming back to it. It was uh, founded in 1875, and my great-great-grandfather, Carl Jeske, was one of the 13 founders. Oh, wow. And his son, my great-grandfather, Reinhold, was accepted as an adult member at age 14, and I still have his what we call confirmation. I still have his confirmation certificate from 1876. And then his son, my grandfather, went to the school there. And then he became a pastor and went off. But the next generation, my father returned to serve for a couple of years as an assistant pastor there in the late 1940s and early 50s. That's when I was born, and so I became part of the congregation as a baby. We then moved when he took a different position. And then to my surprise, I was assigned there in the draft. In my tribe, we have like the NFL draft, <laughs> and you don't have any say over your first position. After that, you you are free to accept invitations that may come to you. But I was assigned out of the draft on draft day in 1980 back to that same congregation where I had started my life. And now my boys are members there, my three sons, so they are the sixth generation wow. of my family. Which is which happens in farm communities and never happens in pastor families because pastors are always from somewhere else. Yeah. But not well, me. This is, this is really into your DNA. I go mm -hmm. back to these generations, and uh, we, we know there are different kinds of Lutherans. Now, your church belongs to the Wisconsin Synod. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about that. That will not be familiar to mm -hmm. a lot of our listeners. Mm -hmm. Think Papa Bear, Mama Bear, and Baby Bear. Uh, Papa Bear, the largest group, is called the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, uh, center and left of center in the theological spectrum based in Chicago. Mama Bear is the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate based in St. Louis, um, maybe two and a half million members. And Baby Bear, with about 400,000 members, is what is called the Wisconsin Senate, which is headquartered in Milwaukee. And even though you're based uh, in Milwaukee and Wisconsin, uh, your your churches are other places too. We have a, a Wisconsin Synod Church right here in Birmingham, Alabama. I didn't know about it uh, till you came, but the pastors uh, made contact with us and delighted you're here. So uh, mm -hmm. welcome uh, from the Wisconsin Synod all Thank the you. way to Birmingham, Alabama Thank and you. Beeson Divinity School. Now, I'd like to stay here for another month or two <laughs> until winter is done with my land and I could enjoy this beautiful green place uh, uh, for another month or two. Yeah, this is a cold day for us, but you said it felt like springtime. <laughs> it is spring. It is spring. It's a beautiful spring day today. Why are you a Lutheran? Uh, the short answer, 
there's two short answers and one long answer. Uh, one short answer is God lined it up, and I'm just following in his track. A second short answer is I was born into it. Mm-hmm. But I would like to think that I've had a chance to look at all my alternatives, and I'm Lutheran by choice. I want to be humble enough to say that if I had been born in some other tribe, I might be very happily engaged in the ministry in that tribe as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm a reasonably content Lutheran and realize that every man-made denomination, every organization constructed by human beings is going to have flaws. And it's like marriage, too. If you think your wife or your husband is going to be perfect, uh, you're going to, your marriage will be short and miserable. You have to learn to flex and bend and stay with people and uh, work on things, but be tolerant and be forgiving sure. and to think, yeah. think the best of people. We love Luther here at Beeson Divinity School. I'm a Reformation scholar, and as I've thought about Luther and read a lot of Luther, it, it increasingly comes clear to me he was not out to try to start a new religious movement, certainly not a new church. Mm. He wanted to reform the one holy Catholic and apostolic church on the basis of the Word of God. And every Christian should want to do that, whether you're Lutheran, uh, Reformed, a Baptist, uh, something else. Mm-hmm. That's a good Lutheran instinct. Mm-hmm. And I sense that in you, in your mm-hmm. approach to the ministry and what you've shared mm-hmm. with us this week. Yeah. Luther really appreciated his Catholic traditions and heritage. And when Lutherans are at their best, they are appreciative of the contributions made in the past by people, not necessarily of their organization. And we claim... Uh, in that sense, we would like to be Catholic with a small c in the widest sense to show appreciation for God's people at, in work and their contributions all over the world and in human history. Mm-hmm. Not only within our Catholic ancestors and Catholic relatives of the past, but in our uh, fellow Protestant cousins. Now, would you say a little bit more about St. Marcus Lutheran Church? Kind of, you've been there since 1980. That's mm-hmm. a long pastoral tenure in any denomination, and you must have seen a lot of changes. Uh, describe that ministry and your own philosophy of ministry in that particular place. Mm-hmm. Well, it, my philosophy certainly changed, but it had to because I had none when I got there. I, mm. I was completely ignorant, utterly clueless. I had gotten the generic training, but the particular needs of that place um, took me years to figure out not just the answers, figure out what are the right questions to ask and what are the pressure points. It's um, an old place founded by European immigrants, which had changed from its European language base to English probably during the presidency of Calvin Coolidge mm-hmm. when the congregation numerically probably was at its peak because of the waves of immigrants, probably somewhere between 2,000 and 2,500 members. And then became came a long, slow period of decline. The church is located in what became Milwaukee's inner city, or variously called its core, or the inner city, or really called a ghetto or a slums. And the riots that tore up Milwaukee in 1967 tore up much mm. of our neighborhood as well. Mm. And in fact, the pastor's house, which was vacant at the time, was firebombed twice wow. during those riots and accelerated the flight from the area, not just of white people, but um, black people with jobs and families and the ability also got out. And there was a terrible exodus of human capital, financial capital, and economic and business capital fled the area, Mm. leaving behind what had been a thriving commercial area with nothing but storefront churches and liquor stores, which Mm. are usually a sign of a neighborhood when it's hit bottom. Mm. And the neighborhood surrounding St. Marcus was full of vacant lots, um, 
it looked like a, a prize fighter's teeth, his smile, with a lot of teeth punched out. Mm. So many houses were gone from the neighborhood, either through arson or being condemned and bulldozed by the city. Mm. And I had not a clue as to what to do, but I fell in love with the place, and I, I had no idea what to do in particular, but I did know this place is going to die over my dead body, and mm. I just decided um, that this is what I'm going to do. Had 14 other job offers, turned them all down over the years, and stayed put. Uh, shows a little lack of imagination, perhaps, but uh, I, I believe that if you've ever read Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, there's a, it's a business book, maybe not a theological book. I don't know if your readers uh, have read it. But if you are interested in the theories of organizing a, a human organization around a principle or goal, it's true of business, but it's true of congregational life too. Mm. You get – he has what he calls the flywheel where mm. – you do many small pushes to get maybe a bad rotation stopped and get it started in the right direction. And you keep pushing and keep pushing and more and more hands are on the flywheel. And it begins to accelerate, not in a linear mm. curve, not a straight line, but like in a parabolic curve where mm. it goes slow, 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 then faster. And then it takes off and you are running like crazy. And I hate to leave and I probably will stay there till I retire because we're in the parabolic part of the curve now where our, our whole all our ministries are like a train barreling down the tracks out of control but it's God's train and God's tracks and I'm just hanging on for the ride are you reaching people in that uh, environing community yes and uh, are these people of different ethnicities and yes our congregation is uh, mixed races um, there's some Caucasian in fact a lot of young white people but there's also a significant uh, black population and our our uh, Christian elementary school next door is primarily African-American students. Wonderful. We have some Hispanics. There's a small Puerto Rican community near where we live, and we have some um, Latinos in the congregation too. Now, I first found out about you or came across your ministry on television. Uh, I don't watch a lot of television. In fact, our television doesn't even work now at my home. But back when it worked, I, I, I would occasionally flip through the religious channels just to sort of see what the competition is like. What's going on out there? What are people listening to? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stuff there that I have to say, uh, without being too critical, but critical enough, it's kind of a spiritual wasteland. Mm -hmm. And right in the middle of that, there was you <laughs> and your ministry, which which is called Time of Grace. Mm -hmm. it, it's actually a telecast, I think, mainly from one of your worship mm -hmm. services. Mm -hmm. You have some one-on-one -on -one with the television congregation, mm -hmm. but it's it's primarily your preaching and mm -hmm. worship ministry mm -hmm. at St. Marcus Lutheran Church. There you were um, in the midst of all of this other stuff that, frankly, if it was even entertaining, it was only a fleeting entertainment. <laughs> but you had substance. Uh, you had passion. You obviously love Jesus Christ. You believe the Bible. You had a concern to reach people with the gospel. And yet uh, you did this in a warm, winsome kind of way. And I was just really impressed, um, not, not so much with you, but with you, but with that approach to ministry on television. It seemed to work. Hmm. Say a little bit about how you became a televangelist, if I can call you that, and um, – what, what you would say about that particular outreach in the kind of world we live today? Yeah, here I am. Who knew I'd be sitting on the same bench as Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart? Huh? <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a crazy world. It wasn't even my idea. I can't even claim that it ever occurred to me. It never occurred to me even once. I never uh, thought I would be worthy of it or never thought my 
little inner city congregation would be of interest to the wider world. It had all I could do to um, just to stay with its work there, and I did not aspire to it. But I, uh, you have to be careful where you loiter mm. and what friends you make. And I happened mm. to acquire some friends who are very aggressive business guys who don't know the meaning of the word can't mm. and who are not hobbled by my pastoral limitation of vision who, when they put their mind to something, just say, we can do this. Now let's just figure out how to get it done. Mm. And uh, I got to know them through our service on the Board of Regents at a Christian college in Milwaukee. And one of them got the notion, why do we not have any – there's no Lutherans on television. We mm. were pioneers in the print revolution. We were mm. pioneers in the radio mm-hmm. revolution. Yeah, the Luther, the Luther Hour, Hour which is well-known yeah. around the world. Still today is uh, broadcast on more than a 1,000 stations around the world. Why did we so drop the ball with television? And honestly, Dr. George, I, I've attended the National Religious Broadcasters Convention numerous times. And if uh, of those three or 4,000 people that cram that convention, if, I, if there are four or five Lutherans there, I'd, I'm, <laughs> I'd be surprised. We have completely whiffed on that part of mass media. And we just let it get away and probably thought, well, now it's too late. We should have got in in the Billy Graham, Oral Roberts era, and we missed the boat, so now it's gone. And these guys said it's never too late to get in. Mm-hmm. And we should investigate this. So we um, formed an exploratory team in 2000. And in 2001, had one employee and one station in Milwaukee. We started broadcasting on Fox in Milwaukee. And today it has been blessed by the Lord. I thought we'd run out of money and call it a day and have and have some fun and maybe say we saved one soul and it was totally worth it. Mm-hmm. And now here we are 12 years later. I've mostly let go of my parish administration duties, and now I concentrate on developing the TV side. And, and no doubt, I'm just assuming that has brought you in. It's been a ministry. It's been an outreach, and yeah. you must hear from your listeners. There is a sense of interconnectivity, yeah. I suppose, that's yes. going on there. So yeah. it really is an extension of your ministry and your church's ministry, too. Yes, it is. That's wonderful. I, I just commend you for that. And for any of our listeners, if you've never seen uh, the weekly television program, Time of Grace, you might check your various cables and listings and find it there somewhere. Uh, I just stumbled across it and was so blessed by it. Uh, and what would you say, uh, Pastor Mark, about the fact that we're living in a more visually oriented world? And if you're if you're a young minister or you're a minister kind of uh, thinking about how can I reach this world, what, what about something like like that mm-hmm. as a way forward. Yeah. You put your finger on something that's very, very important, and that is uh, it's important that people who are older, who are the prime funders and managers of ministries, really pay attention and allow the voices of young Christians to be heard. And they will tell you, and they are voting by their behaviors, that they are very much into video and things in pictures, and that they use uh, graphic forms of communication in much greater volume than people who are 60 and older. And the church must not just blow that off. That is, we're on, we're right in the midst of yet another communication revolution, and we must not allow ourselves in our pride about our past to become dinosaurs and irrelevant in the world today. Mm. And the media revolution, the, what computers and digitization have done to transmitting speech with internet radio, for instance, with smartphones, with uh, handheld devices, mobile technology, and the ease and uh, 
the ease of the ability to transmit video instantly, quickly, clearly, and with astonishingly high quality around the world in an instant is a fabulous gift of God, a tool of the devil to be sure, but like Mm -hmm. everything else, uh, it is also a great tool for God. And church leaders today must engage Mm -hmm. in the digital revolution. You must not just say that's for someone else or I don't need it or you must be engaged. And I salute Beeson for having a podcast and you must keep your pedal uh, down to the floor on this. Mm. In a local congregation setting, you must find ways to distribute content to the people who have smartphones and their mobile devices. You must find ways to to provide content Mm. uh, because if you don't, someone else will and it might not be very good. You must find ways to use visual images in worship, mm. um, perhaps not in every last service you do, but there, it, it should be there for people for whom that is their preferred means of communication. And when the Bible commands us in the Great Commission, you go from your safety spot, you go to where the people are, that is where people are going today, and that is where the church must be, is is in that digital um, Mm. zone yeah I want to shift just a little bit because uh, when when I got the titles of your preaching lectures this is our annual lectureship on preaching I found that one of your titles in fact it was the lecture you gave today was called I Hate Preaching now I just sat through that lecture so I kind of know where it comes out and we don't have time for you to give the whole thing right now but would you tell us why you hate preaching and what you mean by that well, it it's probably was gratuitously um, provocative, and I maybe would choose a different title. I I did it. I gave it that title on a bit of an impulse, uh, but and I don't know if I would title it like that if you in, if you ask me to soften it up. But honestly, I do. I I guess I love what people understand as preaching. I hate the word. Yeah, preaching. yeah. I re, I hate the word preaching because. It seems to imply it's something that only ordained clergy do. And that word as such does not exist in the Bible. The Mm. communication of the gospel is all Christians' privilege and responsibility and commission. Mm. And the words the Bible uses uh, does not connote what the word preach does, which means a formal address given by someone in often clothing that badges him as part of a separate caste where only he gets to talk and everybody else has to shut up and only a few get to do it. And in fact, everyone is commissioned to do it. What are the two words you mentioned today in the New mm-hmm. Testament for preaching? Yeah, the, what ends up in the English Bible as preaching either is uh, kerygma, which is the message, or kiriso, which means it's the Greek word for being a herald. A, a, a kerix is a herald. It's somebody who is giving the job of being the advance man for the main show. And you are the ad agency to get people's attention that something big is going on and is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Or the other big word in Scripture in the New Testament that's used is oi to to be a good newser. And that is not the province of the clergy. It is everybody's privilege to be a good newser. And so I don't like that word because it implies that the Great Commission is my job as a pastor and that the members passively watch me do it. I must ignite and fire them up so that they become part of the team. And that's part of the Reformation teaching of the priesthood of all believers, I think. It is. Often honored in word, often ignored in deed. And we must continually 
push ourselves and others' noses back into that phenomenally important privilege we all have as Christians, to be royal priests of God. Well, we may actually play that lecture at one of our we, on our future Beeson podcast. We have uh, two interviews, a sermon, and a lecture every month. Uh, this is an interview, so uh, stay tuned for more from uh, Pastor Mark Jeske in the future, perhaps. Um, one more question, and then we'll we'll have to draw this to a close. It's been a wonderful conversation, and uh, you're also a blogger. I guess that's a part of your uh, desire to reach this world. And uh, no, they make me do it. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Okay, uh, I have to say you're in, you're in advance of me there. I, I have a kind of a revulsion against blogs. Uh, occasionally, I read them. People send them to me, but uh, you wrote one called "Him Hypocrisy," and again, that title interests me. What what is "Him Hypocrisy"? What were you talking about in that blog? Well, I was, I was outing myself for feeling a little sheepish and like a hypocrite, for singing things that weren't true. Um, the hymns of personal dedication to the Lord, if you really think about what you're singing, uh, you know, I, I leave it all for you, I'll give it all for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking of Francis Havergal's, as an example, Francis Havergal's marvelous little gem of personal dedication, take my life and let it be. Take my life. I can hardly say that with a straight face. I hardly let God have 10 minutes a day for my little mm. quickie Bible studies. Mm. Take my life? I, I can... Uh, that's that's over the top. Um, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. I'm so stingy and greedy with my money. I, I'm embarrassed to sing mm. that. Mm. Uh, I... Uh, Wesley gave most of his income to the Lord, and uh, I think I'm a hero for the percentage that I set apart. Uh, that's way over the top. So I, I said, when you sing these heroic hymns of complete dedication of the heart, admit that you don't completely mean it, because it, you're you're a sinner. Mm-hmm. You're hold. None of us gives a hundred percent to God. We're all holding back. Mm. We're all flawed. Mm. Our lives, our Christian lives, are fragmented, broken, and partial. That's why we need forgiveness mm. every day. Mm. But cleansed by the blood of Jesus, he shines up all our tarnished efforts, and they get buffed and presented to the Lord, and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Even though we're expecting to get yelled at, he's going to praise us anyway, because washed in Jesus' blood, even our half-baked efforts look and smell good to him. Mm. And they provide aspirational models. Maybe right at this moment, I can't honestly say that my track record has been not a might would I withhold, but I want to grow into that, and that will be Mm -hmm. my target. So Mm -hmm. Frances Havergill is my goal. Her her words are my goal, if not necessarily descriptive of my present reality. Well, we have to close because of our time, but what a wonderful opportunity to meet you, to share in fellowship with you here at Beeson Divinity School. God bless you and your ministry in Milwaukee uh, and through the Time of Grace uh, outreach on television, all that you're doing to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And we hope we'll see each other again before too long. God bless you. Thank you, Dr. George. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ.
We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.